0: Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, and happy Mother's Day to you too. Um, <clears throat> I have two boys. My boys, I think, well, oh, there they are, laughing at each other in the oven in our kitchen. Uh, Johnny's 11 months, and Daniel is three and a half. So I'm pretty well underway now with this preschooler parenting. And for any parents here, I've discovered the secret. Genuinely, it can be summed up in two words baby wipes. Not kidding you. These things are actually magic. I don't think I realised quite the diverse and life-saving properties of a baby wipe before I had kids. Seriously, food, mud, snot, poop, puke, it does not matter. Baby wipe. No one needs laundry. Baby wipe. Off you go. It's fine. I think they should be issued into lots of professions like the army, surgery. It's fine. Just use a wet wipe. It's all good. Now, our second boy, Johnny, has put that to the test. He has had really horrendous reflux, which, for the uninitiated among you, and thank God that you are those people, it means throwing up all the time. Um, It has been really rough. One particular morning, I was trying to get us out the door to preschool for Daniel. I had 15 minutes to put on a top and some jeans, brush my hair, get us in the car. No problem, right? In that 15 minutes, Johnny threw up eight times. And we're not talking about a civilized dribble of milk. I'm talking about chunks of banana and blueberry and oats, mushed into the carpet, onto my clothes, onto his clothes, into my hairbrush, which I had to throw away. So I'm scrappling around for wet wipes, of course, cleaning us up, cleaning him up, me up. We're all covered by the time we get out the door. I leave a pool in the hallway because I don't have time. Get to the car. I put Daniel in. I get Johnny there, and he throws up into his car seat. So I did the only thing any self-respecting mother would do. I put him in on top of it, (laughs) strapped him in, drove to school. Dropped Daniel at preschool, kind of walking along in my stained clothes, and dropped Daniel out, get back to the car with Johnny, and I can feel myself starting to cry. And I put Johnny in his seat and kind of take his bib off him. I just looked at him and thought, oh my gosh, I love you. I'm possibly going to go nuts, (laughs) but I really love you. And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. Unconditional love. You know, it's not based on circumstance or performance, just unconditional love. And my love for my kids is just a faint reflection of how God describes his love for his children. And on this Mother's Day, that's what we're going to look at. Now you might have the most incredible relationship with your mum. You might be a mum with a great relationship with your kids. You might be amazing at mothering others, drawing the best out of them, or you might have had someone who's done that for you. On the other hand, I'm really aware that Mother's Day can be just really painful for some people, whether it's loss or disappointment, whether it's broken relationship. You know, whether you've got the best or the worst experience of mothering, actually, today is for you here's the thing whatever our relationship to mothering there is one thing that is true for every single person in this room and that is that on the day your mother gave birth to you your life was stamped with the unwavering everlasting unconditional love of God that is true for every person in this room and the offer to receive it is open to us so this morning, we're going to delve into what that looks like, what that love is like, and how we can receive it, and what's going to happen if we do. So I'm reading from Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. This is a letter that Paul was writing to a church that he'd planted. It says this, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that christ might dwell in your heart in faith i pray that you being rooted and established in love might have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to all the measure with all the fullness of god now to him who is able to do more immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout generations, forever and ever. Amen. What a rich passage. You know, the first thing that strikes me is that Paul doesn't just ask that the church would know God's love. He prays they'd have power to be able to grasp it. That struck me as a little bit weird. And he doesn't spell out why, but I do have a couple of thoughts. You know, I think that receiving love isn't as easy as it sounds. We were created for love, but somewhere along the way, many of us have forgotten how to receive it without love, without question, or without fear. We weren't born with mistrust. You know, I was driving the kids the other day, back from preschool, and me and Daniel were having a chat, I told him I loved him, and I said, who else loves you? And his little voice just started up this list. Wendy loves me and Joy loves me and Steve loves me. Just kept listing every person we know. I love how confident he is that he's loved. I pray for that to last. Because to different degrees, we all go through experiences in life with our family or our friends, our marriage, where we get hurt or we get left, we get betrayed or even abused by people who were meant to love us. And in our hearts, we decide, maybe love isn't safe. Two summers ago, Mike and I, my husband, spent a month in Mozambique um, with a woman called Tracy. Now, she had a really rough upbringing, and she ended up homeless, broken, alone at the age of 17. So without many options, she joined the army, and um, the brutal world of boot camp just kind of suited her stubborn streak, so she got stuck in. She found that there was this woman in her barracks called Carson, who was a Christian and she just basically set about finding ways to humiliate and cause trouble for her. But Carson, every time, even knowing who had done it, would respond with love and grace to Tracy. Tracy spent five months continually intimidating and humiliating Carson, until one day she came back from a run to find Carson ironing Tracy's uniform and shining her boots. Tracy was totally stunned and asked her why. Carson told her, God loves us in spite of our sin, and she began to explain the gospel. Tracy says that that night she felt love for the first time in her life. She broke down in tears and Carson asked if she wanted to know the one who loved her like no other. Tracy gave her life to Jesus. Now, yeah. Tracy has now been a Christian medical missionary in 64 different nations. She lives in Mozambique now, and she's heading up a ministry that serves hundreds of orphan and HIV babies, developing health, education, community projects. She's genuinely one of the most inspiring people I've ever met. But it began with someone breaking down her seemingly impenetrable wall against love. I heard this really interesting quote that said, I allow people close enough to affirm me, but never close enough to hurt me. I know for me, where I've been hurt through friendships, there can be this kind of temptation to protect my heart, not to fully trust it when someone says they love me. Because really receiving that love leaves me vulnerable to losing it or being rejected. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. But God wants to fill us to the measure with his love and we have to be willing to let down the self-protection for him to do that. And I think Paul knows we need the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. So we need the power to receive that love. But what does this love look like? Why is it worth letting down those walls? Because I think Paul's also praying for power for us to know it, just because it is so vast, like we were saying during worship, and so good that without the Holy Spirit, we can't possibly grasp it. You know, I distinctly remember looking at myself in the mirror when I was nine. I had this kind of blonde puff of hair, and I know I was wearing some dress or other for an occasion, and not being very happy about what I saw. And I remember my mum standing behind me and going, well, I think you look lovely. And me saying, you have to, you're my mum. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think we apply that kind of non-logic to God. Like, he has to love us, so it doesn't really count. You know, he loves everyone, so it's generic. It's, you know, it's, it doesn't really count for anything. But the Bible is so clear that there is nothing generic about the way that God loves you. He doesn't have to. We walked away from him and he still pursues us and welcomes us back home with open arms. You know, if you wanna feel unique and special and significant, you've come to the right dad. The Bible says, not only does he know every hair on your head and every word before it's on your tongue, he knew you even before he formed you in the mother's womb, in your mother's womb. He calls us children, loved with an everlasting love. He dances over us. In fact, he says he takes delight in doing good to us and he will never stop doing good to us. He knows you. He loves you that way. We do need power to grasp it. You know, Paul starts this section by calling God Father. He goes out of his way to emphasize that God is this perfect parent whose love is very specifically for you. I can identify with this sense of specific love. You know, I love my two boys the same amount, but that doesn't mean my love for them is interchangeable and generic. It's very special for each of them. Like Johnny, I love his sense of humor. He's so crazy. He's only 11 months, and he loves making people laugh by just shaking his head as hard as he can until they laugh. And I love Daniel's imagination. Last week, he genuinely had me for a whole day. I was mummy crab, he was big boy crab, and I had to walk sideways whenever he told me and use my (laughs) hand as pincers. (laughs) We were just crabs all day. It's because they're mine and I love them that I notice all these unique and wonderful little things about them. You know, God doesn't love us interchangeably. His love is special for each one of us because we're his kids. And his love is unconditional. So it's vast, it is specific to you, and it's unconditional. The culture we live in here is essentially merit-based. We're surrounded by TV, films, magazines, social media that says you've got to prove your worth to be loved. You know, we need to be more gifted or beautiful or unique in some way that's better than other people to be worthy of attention. I don't know if you remember Susan Boyle. This lady stepped onto the stage of Britain's Got Talent in 2009, and everyone looked really worried. What could this ordinary, plain, middle-aged woman have to offer? The judges looked really cynical, and you know the audience sighed when she said she dreamt of being a singer. But then she started to sing. This incredible voice came out. Suddenly, the judges' whole attitude changed. The, the audience get on their feet, some of the judges give her a standing ovation, Everything changed at her amazing voice. She went on to become second in the competition, and her debut album album went number one around the world. Amazing story, right? Well, actually, the thing is, as she started to sing, one of the presenters turned to the camera and said, you didn't expect that, did you? And I thought, no, I actually didn't. Because standing there, in her whatever clothes and slightly dodgy haircut, I had already judged her. If she'd got up there and turned out to be tone deaf and sung really badly, she'd have been laughed at, or maybe shamed, or at best, totally not worthy of notice. And that is so far from the kingdom truth. That woman is special and unique. She has incredible value. But it's not because she can sing. I mean, she has a great voice. But she is made in the image of God. She's loved with an everlasting love. Our Father says, there is no such thing as an ordinary package. You don't have to prove yourself. You are worth his incredible love. You know, there are people in the room right now who feel that they're not worth noticing. You're painfully aware of all the things that you're not. In fact, you've believed the world's judgment of you. I want you to know that is not the kingdom truth. Look at this sculpture. Think about the love of the artist for this sculpture. No one knows every curve and line better than the one who has painstakingly carved and loved it into being. Our Father formed us. He loves every part, and he formed who we are as well. You know, God is not interested in what our culture says you are or are not, or how you rate against other people. Before any experiences in your life had an impact on you, before you were ever disappointed or hurt, your very self was lovingly created and breathed into being. Your soul, the real you. He loves you with a depth I cannot express. And that love releases you to be the real you totally lifts off pressure to perform. So as love's unconditional, and it means we don't have to perform, when we are trying things out, we can relax. You know, since becoming a mum, I've noticed how completely nuts parents really are. You know, we go loopy about stuff. I am not kidding you. The other day, Johnny, my 11-month-old, started clapping, and I was like, (gasps) Hold the phone, text everybody, video it, tell everyone in the world, my son's clapping. I think he's a genius. He's actually a genius. I mean, never mind that all the other kids his age I know can clap, and that Daniel admittedly clapped three years earlier. Most people can clap. Johnny's clapping. I was so excited. You know, my love for my kids, I mean, I get this crazy pleasure from seeing them do things that pretty much most people can do. I was drawing pictures with Daniel, and he asked me to draw him a man on a boat. I told him he should do it. And he looked at me and was like, no, you do it. I can't. So sad. So I just said to him, no, come on, you can do it. I believe in you. I think you can draw. So I got alongside him, and he drew. And he drew a man on a boat, right? That's amazing. He's got hands and feet and everything. I know. I love his man on a boat. Admittedly, I could probably draw a better man on a boat. I love his man on a boat. You know, when we try things out, God loves to get alongside us and see us learn and see us have a go. His love for us frees us up from the fear of failure because we are loved however we perform. You know, whether you're a parent just doing your best and hoping it's good enough, whether you are trying to measure up at work, whether you're stepping out and sharing your faith or having a go at something creative for the first time in a while... He loves being with you as you have a go. He loves your man on a boat. So God's vast love is specific to you. It is uniquely about you, and you don't have to do anything to earn it. But how do we get from here down to here? Because when Paul talks about us knowing his love, the original word he used is ginosko, which means to come to know, to feel, to know Absolutely. God intends us to experience this love. I only have to look at my own marriage to know that love that's only a knowledge isn't really the full story. You know, when my husband Mike and I first had Daniel, we realized after a number of months that we just weren't feeling connected to each other. You know, we were kind of dry, irritable, arguing more often. I knew we were in trouble when we ended up having this major row about whether you can put metal brackets in the recycling bin. You're standing in the the living room brandishing these, having a row. Something's not right here. I still knew Mike loved me, and he was telling me so. But without the experience of it, it kind of stopped meaning very much. You know, I needed him to express his love to me in ways that made me feel loved, and I needed to do the same for him. We have to keep working on that, because just knowing we love each other actually isn't a fulfilling relationship. We need to experience God's love for that fulfilling relationship. And Paul is talking about our spirit and our inner being. It's this unshakable gut conviction. You know, the way we experience a lot of feelings, happiness, sadness, anger, they're kind of dynamic, they're moving and changing. But this is still. It's immovable. It's deep in us. I love that Paul writes this. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, might have power to grasp and know this love that surpasses knowledge. The Ephesians are already rooted and established in love, but here comes this all, whole other wave of love. So incredible, it surpasses knowledge. The experience of it going far beyond anything we can explain or understand with our minds. I have possibly just talked myself out of my own talk, but go with me on this. It is so vast and so good that we need his power to grasp it. You know, the Bible's really clear that there is no knowing God without knowing love. John 14 says, God is love. He is totally inseparable from love. Bear with me on this. I'm going to try an illustration. Here we go. So love is God's very nature. You know, saying God is love, no, saying God loves us is like saying this water makes things wet. It does make things wet, but it is, in essence, wet. You know, water can't be in contact with something without being wet, so... When water is poured on something, it either rolls right off it or it soaks in. But the water itself is still wet. You know, whether God's love rolls right off you or whether you soak it up, he is still love. His love doesn't stop for you. The only question is whether we can receive him. Now, I would love to be someone who just feels waves of God's love roll over me every moment I come to worship, but although I really know he does love me, sometimes I kind of feel a bit like the duck. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's anyone else who feels a bit like a duck in this context. (laughs) You know, maybe you feel discouraged that actually I'm kind of saying all this about receiving love and you've got no idea how to begin to receive it. Maybe you don't have faith that you can receive this kind of love. But actually, let's look at verse 20, because Paul is way ahead of us. He says, now to him who is able to do more than all we ask or imagine. If you can't even imagine being able to receive the love of God, he is able. He says he's able. We get to choose to believe him for it, even if we can't imagine it. And that's the heart of the good news of Jesus. You know, maybe you've never decided to follow him. Maybe you've not had the chance to turn away from the junk in your life that ends up making his love roll off you. These things all can kind of build up and make us into that object that the love just rolls off. Paul says the key to being filled to the measure with God is asking Jesus to come and dwell in your heart. The only condition to receiving the unconditional love is choosing to believe him. The Bible says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This changes everything. Our lives become about that relationship and about becoming more and more like him. You know, as I pour this water in, The flannel doesn't contain wet, it becomes wet. Can you as as God fills us with Himself, you know, we don't just contain some love, we become love. And if water can get in, (laughs) if water can get in, it can definitely get out, right? No, you fill something with water that soaks it up and all kinds of things are going to get wet. You know, now you can sit down. (laughs) Well done, Phil. You pour love onto a receiving heart and love is just going to start leaking out all over the place. And that is something revolutionary. People who know Jesus aren't meant to do some loving things. Pretty much everyone does that. We are created to be filled with to the measure, so he dwells in us and we become love. So our very nature is to receive and give love. So we can't bump into people with a little bit of love getting off on them. You know, love stops being something we do and becomes who we are. And that's revolutionary. Because the application of receiving unconditional love isn't to go and do loving things. It's just to receive it, and let it change who we are. Imagine it. What would happen if we all became love? If we were unable to act in a way that wasn't loving? How would love encounter a man in the doorway on the high street? Imagine how somebody who's totally at peace in how loved they are might handle their unkind and unfair boss. How would we treat our taxi driver, or the waiter that messes everything up, if we were love? If we all started with a foundation that everyone is special before they do anything to prove themselves, how would we judge the person who doesn't fit in, or who keeps making mistakes or is just rude and opinionated? How would it change my parenting if I became love? Now imagine if you became love, how would you treat yourself? That kind of revolutionary love gets people asking questions, right? So now we can see why Paul ends this section the way he does. He says, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout generations. If our church was filled with people who are becoming love, how would that reflect on our Father? This morning we have the opportunity to believe him for it. To say, God, I believe your love is unique to me. is unconditional and it's available. We get to ask him for power to receive it. To become a flannel. Power to soak up his love and become love so we can't help but give love to other people. Should we stand together and ask him?